Welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, the podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is William C. Vantuono. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. Joining me today, a very special guest, is Mark Buncher, who is President and Chief Executive Officer of Siemens Mobility Incorporated, uh, North America. And um, Mark has been in this industry for uh, about... 30 years, I think. Uh, so, Mark, thanks for joining us. There's a lot to talk about. Um, thank you and thanks, Siemens, for your, for your sponsorship here. Um, let's, let's just get right into this. Uh, the, uh, the infrastructure bill, this is, this is the big thing that uh, everybody in the industry is, uh, is talking about and uh, uh, sort of speculating about, you know, what, what comes next. So, uh, from your perspective, uh, what are the opportunities for the passenger rail industry? Well, good to see you again, Bill. Always uh, great to spend time with you here. And, you know, this uh, this infrastructure bill is definitely a new and exciting thing for our industry. It's it's some, some big money coming in, you know, $105 billion, I think. It really depends on how you look at it to figure out what's going, going where. But we, we sort of say there's, you know, $66 billion that goes to that mainline inner city passenger piece and then uh 39 million into mass transit and there's there's a freight element in there for that section 130 i believe um uh, signaling upgrade crossing upgrade piece and so i think everybody's going to get a little bit of it uh amtrak obviously gets the biggest piece the northeast quarter gets the biggest piece where we have the higher riders highest ridership as well um but it's just so exciting i i mean i don't know where the build back better stands but there's 10 billion um in that one for high-speed rail and that one there really isn't a whole lot of high-speed rail elements uh within the base you know the base infrastructure plan um i guess you could go after some of the mega project money to help support some of those projects but that's where i would love to see build back better pass and i would love to see 10 billion at least 10 billion come into the high-speed rail space you know what one of the perceptions here is that this is a huge windfall uh and that's not entirely accurate uh, you know, there's a lot of money available, but there's also going to be, from my understanding, there's going to be a lot of competition for uh, for dollars. Uh, if you want to talk about that a bit, well, I mean, it's big when you think when you think about numbers. It's more in this one bill than the FRA had received in the last 18 years. So when you think about it like that, it's an awful lot of money coming in. But when you when you start to spread out the money to get everybody sort of you know back to where they needed to be, it's it's not money coming in for new capital plans. It's to get the rail, rail industry, you know, back to par, really. It's, it's just getting them back to par. And so I think when you take some of those big, those big buckets, the Amtrak piece, you know, when you start to think about where they're going to spend their money, it's, 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 it's money going into a bridge here and one construction company will get that and money going into a tunnel there and one construction company will get that. So it will get parceled out. Um, to all the suppliers to the rail industry, but even more than that, to all of the transit agencies, everybody's going to get a little bit. So it, it's like, as you said, it's it's um, it's going to be split up quite a bit. And and in terms of Amtrak, uh, as we know, uh, Siemens has uh, uh, a very good relationship, as we'll call it, with Amtrak. Uh, 
the the new electric locomotives uh, on on the corridor, the uh, ACS sixty fours, and and now uh, so there, there's some new uh, new rolling stock uh, coming online. That's uh, very very encouraging. If you want to just comment on that, yeah, I mean it was a great order, a uh, great customer for sure, and you know it's the it's the railroad of the future for for the United States as it sits right now, especially with a high speed rail money coming in to compete against them. But we got 83 train sets. We got options for 150. It's a new technology coming out there, dual, a dual mode, the hybrid battery technology. Um, it's going to be able to do some things that we've never seen before on, on this continent um, technology wise. And I think it's going to completely change the rider experience. And I'm sure you've seen all the new legs that Amtrak's up, you know, talking about opening up and some of the legs are the one, the most, natural you know lines for rail in in the united states the dallas to houston one for example and and that's going to be a new line for them uh, opening that one back up and so the passenger experience should be great in the cars the technology is great uh green fuel you know hybrid uh technology and then of course the acs 64 that you mentioned the the electric locomotive that's been running here for some time now and has a really strong uh reliability and high availability well, I think there's reason for uh, for optimism, and you know the uh, the equipment that Amtrak has been running now for uh, generations. You know, it's it's served Amtrak well. You know those uh, those Amfleet cars, those uh, the, those Bud cars. It's amazing how long they've lasted. Uh, but it's kind of like keeping a classic car running. You know, uh, you almost have to make parts for it because nobody makes them anymore. Uh, just one aspect. Uh, uh, but I, I, I think uh, probably when, once the new equipment is in service, I, I would expect to see uh, uh, combined with some expansion of, uh, of the service, you know, corridor expansions, new lines, I think we'll, uh, we'll see an uptick in ridership. Uh, I certainly hope so. Yeah, and I think that they've seen, uh, I think the statistics are pretty good for them. I think they're back to 85% of pre-pandemic ridership. Um, I think that's that's one of the you know rail railroad um, in the United States that actually going to get come back a little bit faster. These transit agencies, you know, people aren't people were taking the trains to avoid the traffic, and with traffic patterns completely changing, people sort of have to find their way back to these these you know transit agencies, these these city transit agencies. So MTA's lagging quite a bit, um, but I know they're excited to get back to their full ridership and. Yeah. Yeah, we have a bit of a hiccup with the uh, Omicron variant, but uh, th- this too shall pass. Uh, this this will yes. hopefully be the last wave. <laughs> we sure hope so. Yeah. Um, so, as in terms again of the infrastructure uh, bill, what what is missing from it? I and mean, there have to be some uh, missing pieces here. What are they in your estimation? Well, high speed rail for sure. I mentioned it briefly, but I mean, you just, I know you've been to Europe and been on a high speed train. And if you've seen what China's done, they, they put 20, I think it's 24,000 miles of track in, in like four years. And, um, I mean, that's getting close to the size of union Pacific, right? Union Pacific, I think has 31,000 of track miles, yes. 31,000 yeah. track miles. So mm-hmm. they did close to union Pacific in four or five years. They have that, I think it's Shanghai to Beijing, 750 mile leg that they can do in three hours now and you know um it's not even about siemens when we talk about high-speed rail it's just talking about uh, being uh, a u.s citizen and living here there's just great opportunities for us to completely change the landscape and when we talk about infrastructure this is infrastructure this is as true as it gets to infrastructure and um 
I mean, Texas Central, I mentioned that Dallas to Houston route already. That's a natural leg for, for rail. Um, Las Vegas to Los Angeles. I mean, if you ever try to take a, a car ride from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, it's just absolutely painful. So it would be a great place for us to have high-speed rail. I think Brightline's doing some great things with their plans there and what they've done in Florida. But, you know, Northeast Corridor, Northwest Corridor, we, we, we just need it. And we're, we're sort of on the last leg of hoping for the Build Back Better to happen and that $10 billion coming forward. But High-speed rail is what we need here to completely yeah. change the rail and industry. It, and if, but if you look at the investment that China has made, I think it's uh, roughly five hundred billion dollars, half a trillion, and we're, uh, we're talking here about ten billion dollars. Well, uh, it sounds like a lot of money, but as far as uh, you know, building a high-speed rail network in the U.S., it, it really isn't. It, the, the investment needs to increase uh, exponentially but if we can get one project done i think it'll it'll mushroom we've always said this you know we i've been reporting on this for uh, a long long time and just get one line get one project done right. and then everybody everybody will want one you know and you know there's the european train control system the, the train control that europe has that all the countries have agreed on the on the product that they're going to do. We need our American train control system. We need one for us that the FRA will approve. And that one project would do that. You know, the one project would actually document the American train control system and we would have it ready and packaged for the next one for anybody to compete on. Cause that's what happens in Europe. There are five or six different approved signaling suppliers and anybody can bid on it. And so I agree. But you know, the 10 billion, although it doesn't sound like much, I think the bright line project is like half of that, 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 bright line west that los angeles to las vegas line is like i don't know five to eight billion dollars something like that and that's one line that a private company says that they can make money on so i mean it's not about dumping away 10 billion dollars it's about making an investment to take it to the next place congressman moulton i know um you've heard it from him before but he always talks about when they're adding a lane of highway nobody ever debates return on investment nobody ever debates you know this how much is the right number? They just say we need another lane on a highway, so let's go do it. And yet we debate this all day long, and we say they're you know we're too spread out, we're not enough in the cities. Yet we have cities that make absolutely perfect sense to be running high speed rail between, and we don't do it. So that's my my plea to everybody to reach out to their congressman and try to push back the bill, push out the uh, approve the Build Back Better mm-hmm. plan. And you know, and there's the the this perception that uh, our industry has been fighting for so long with passenger rail, you know that this this uh, idea that well, it's it costs money and it, it's supposed to be profitable. Well, as you said, no one uh, no one questions investments in uh, in, in in pavement, okay? No one right. expects a positive return on investment. Um, and you know, that's a battle that that continues with passenger rail. It's a, it, it it it's essential for mobility. It's essential for for transportation, for the environment, a whole bunch of reasons. And and our industry has been pushing this for so so long. And uh, but it's a battle that uh, that that still has to be fought. Yeah, I mean, I think we're the closest we've ever been right now because we have you know a couple of different cities talking about it. We have the government talking about it. Um, so I think we're the closest it's ever been. And I mean, California high speeds putting, putting in bridges and tunnels as we speak. So, um, there are projects underway. We just need to get one done. We need to be able to, to, 
to touch a high speed train in the on on u s soil and i mean and you know I know the German one the most because i'm work for Siemens, but they put a they put a high speed rail in between Munich and Berlin. They put one stop along the way where there was nothing it was a farm town, and it created a city because people realized that they could work in Munich or Berlin if they lived near that location and when we start to talk about you know population increases and urbanization and all the things that we you know uh, uh, our whole climate control how do we handle you know our, our climate problem that's the solution right there is i mean you, you put a stop halfway between dallas and houston and you're going to create a city that makes sense and we've seen it happen as, as you said we've seen it happen in europe but it could certainly happen here um and the other part of that is when you get to the inner city, then um, that connectivity, uh, light rail, all right, that's that's uh, that's very big for Siemens uh, in North America. Uh, light rail is one of the fastest growing forms of rail rail transit. So I would imagine there are some pretty good opportunities uh, uh, for expanding uh, what what we've got now, which is actually quite strong if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing light rail vehicles here since 1981. So, um, you know, full, fully by America compliant vehicles. And our competition's been here too, so it's great. But the cities are really starting to understand it. And I think the consultants and the, you know, the, the engineering companies and everybody are really uh, starting to understand it. And I think putting in new systems is becoming a lot more easier. And I think it's really justifiable too. I mean, if you look at some of the big cities that are out there that are talking about it, um, it could really change their whole the whole landscape of the city and and Charlotte is one of the best examples of mm-hmm. uh, great urban development where they laid out that track out they laid the city out and well you know well in advance of of the city being developed and it developed around the rail line completely developed around that rail line they had that depot south of downtown and there was nothing there you know it was sort of no man's land. And now you have all along the track, like 20 feet from the track, bars, restaurants, hotels, mm-hmm. um, condos, and a lot of people moving there and not, you don't need a car. In fact, John Lewis, the CEO of the company, he lives right on the rail line. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I've seen this in every light rail project where there's been pushback, you know, political pushback, uh, local opposition in every instance where the line got built, which is in, you know, 99% of the cases, once it got built and once it's in operation, all of a sudden the tune changes. Oh, we should have done this years ago. Let's, let's build, let's expand this. You know, this is great. You know, (laughs) maybe, maybe there won't be so much uh, um, opposition going forward. I think it's getting a little, I mean, there's a lot of cities to point towards and that's the great thing. When one city does it and it works out well, it's a great, you know, a great place to take somebody else. The Charlotte one, we have some, a battery technology on there because, you know, there's an area where it goes underneath the highway and uh, a little tunnel area. And we told them that we could run for 2.6 miles. I heard um, Mr. Lewis say that we can do that. Their trains are running double that in, in Charlotte, but there are other cities that don't want overhead catenary running them. I mean, the mayor of Quebec City said he doesn't want in this, you know, old historic town. He doesn't want high, he doesn't want lines going through all parts of the town. And so now technology can help it so that you don't need to do that. Um, but I think these proven, you know, these when it works well in one city and letting another city learn from that one. And when people understand the true cost of it per mile and all of those things, it makes it so much easier for the next city to come along and do it. And 
I mean, I bet there's no less than a dozen cities looking at light rail right now that aren't, that don't have light rail lines. Well, that's, that indeed is, uh, is very encouraging. Um, continuing on this, uh, technology thread. So, uh, and the infrastructure bill, uh, is it really going to help our, our industry move the needle as far as technology is concerned, or is it more geared toward a state of good repair? Well, there's a ton of state of good repair, and we need it. All of that money is is well needed and will be spent in the right places. But there is that that's there's a section 130 grant. Um, I think we may have been talking about it before we were live on here, but that that grant replaces these old obsolete crossings with new digital crossings. Um, that's great money for our industry for the freight railroads, especially. Um, it can really get them. You, I mean, you right now we send out people in the railroad send out people to to check crossings you know, every 60 days and we have cameras on crossing. We can tell if the, if the arm's going up or down, we can, no one needs to go out and do it, but they have to make the investment to get that type of crossing to get the camera there. And so we've got some new gate gate mechanisms that are coming out, the newest technologies that be more reliable and run longer. And I think that's where you'll see a lot of the, the newer technology coming in. Plus everybody had their capital plan before and the capital plan was all around um, state of good repair. It wasn't around, where are we going to go next? What are we going to do next? What's the newest technology that's out there? And with the new funding that's coming in, they can fund the state of good repair and take some of their fare box money and now go fund some of these new technologies that are out there. So I really think we're going to see a lot more customers coming forward with a battery like battery um, light rail vehicle type technology or an upgraded crossing technology. I think we're going to see some, some newer technologies come in. And we have an automated rail segment um, that focuses on the freight railroads that is bringing some of the passenger type technology to the freight railroads so that we can help them um, move to a more automated system. What exactly is that? Well, I mean, at, at, at some point we should be able to go ATO, you know, where we're fully automated and we do it here in the United States. If we can do it in New York city, we sure should be able to do it between, you know, New Mexico and, and Arizona where there's not a whole lot there um, on the freight side, but that'll take some time to develop that technology and, um, but we, we do it today in the passenger space. We're a train control company. I think we've got 13,000 train control, uh, people on the rail infrastructure, train control space around the globe. And we get to leverage what we do in one city to take it to the next. And, uh, I think the freight railroads, you, you remember, uh, Jim Squire's, uh, NRC presentation last year. I don't know if you heard his fireside chat, but he talked about digitalizing Norfolk Southern. Yes. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we've, we've talked to him a couple of times on it. He's super excited. Um, I think all the railroads are starting to see that. And I guess we got a new, you know, a couple of new CEOs of the, of the railroads coming in and people are going to come in with a new look and try to see how they can one, save money and two, you know, become more, more, uh, digital, more tech technologically advanced than the next. Yeah. The, the technology that, uh, the freight railroads are uh, really advancing is, uh, the term for it is attended, autonomous train operation so it's not it's not it's not driverless it's but it is uh there is someone in the cab but the the person in the cab is more of a more of a caretaker uh and can step in of course and if if there's a uh if there's an event or a a, you know the system failures or something like that but uh um that that definitely is has made has made a lot of progress the past past few years yeah, but it's nothing new. I mean, us and our competition do ATO. We do ATO over ETCS, all of us do in, mm-hmm. in Europe. Um, and so it's, it should be something that when the time is right for the United States, we can bring it here and do a vital back office server and do a vital onboard unit and 
get get them to get them you know as at as automated as they want to be but um i mean singapore's ato and paris's ato and london's ato so it'll be exciting to see where where we take where we take it here with the freight railroads so there's a lot of uh uh technology transfer um uh opportunities from 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 the passenger side to uh to freight side those silos are kind of kind of breaking down uh gradually yeah i don't think they see it that way but i think i think the suppliers leverage it in other words if we have somebody that understands ato and you know and he's working on a passenger project and a freight railroad wants to talk about it well we're going to bring that guy over and let him talk it, talk about it. Or they say, can you do this? And we say, yeah, we've done that. We did it with the passenger place where we had much tighter headways and we had, you know, we're running right underneath a major city or through a major city. Um, but we can do it on long stretches of a freight railroad too. And of course the, uh, the regulator, the federal railroad administration needs to be on board with all this. And, uh, uh, you know, in, ter- in terms of, uh, you know, not necessarily loosing, loosening regulations, but being open to changing things for the better. Uh, for example, uh, uh, what you were just talking about with crossings. Well, if crossing health can be remotely monitored in real time, is there a need to go out and inspect that crossing once a week or something if, if, the, if the data is there? Um, the, some of the suppliers, I'm sure uh, Siemens uh, is one of them, uh, have been push pushing for this, you know. And and it's not that you would take jobs away, but those human assets can be re- redeployed to to do something else. Yeah, and uh, Meet Bose is a great uh, person to lead the FRA into this new future. The the amount of money that is going to be running through the FRA and to the customers is substantial, and they're going to have to ramp up their you know, the people in FRA to help them take on all the new technologies that are coming and this new additional spending. But he, he's absolutely the right guy to lead them along here. I think there's like $5 billion in the infrastructure bill for um, for infrastructure improvements, uh, things like the Chrissy Grant, you know, where it can go right into technology. And so there's money there for it. There's uh, the, the FRA, uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure they're ramping up um, headcount in, in order to support the growth in the industry. And Amit's got a great track record in the industry where he, you know, he's been at the FRA before, so he he knows how to work Washington D.C. as well as he really understands the customer base and the technology. So, I think it's a great time for us to try to bring some of these new things in. And uh, like I said, they're they're in operation and approved by other government re- uh, regulations around the globe. So we just need to adapt them to our our own technology, the American Train Control System, the ATCS, like I talked about, versus the ETCS. That that's truly one that the FRA has got to buy off on, and has got you know got to be um, probably the most important constituent in the process. I, I understand that uh, now there is also uh, there's more synergy between uh, the UITP uh, in in Europe and uh, and the the uh, the agencies here in North America and APTA, uh, which uh, which I think will will benefit everybody in terms of technology transfer and uh, you know getting people together. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know everybody's starting to talk. I think this year, September, will be the year where we really start to see that convergence um, in a trans of September 2022. And because we missed one, we missed in a trans, but we had an APTA, a lighter version of, of APTA. Um, I thought it was actually a great show. I couldn't believe the how, how large the customer waste was during 
during a pandemic. But I think when we start to get um, APTA and uh, UITP folks together in, in, in September in Berlin, I think that's when all these new technologies, the new infrastructure spending, uh, the, the, and, and, the, and the movement of technology between countries and continents, I think that's when we're going to start to see this convergence of, of uh, approval processes, I guess, for lack of better words. Truly moving toward a global rail industry. Right. Right. We have a global economy um, that is, uh, depends upon rail, uh, a large portion of its uh, success. Uh, uh, yeah, we have some supply chain, uh, challenges or problems as I prefer to call them, but, uh, um, yeah, uh, global economy, uh, global rail industry should help drive. I mean, if you look at the acquisitions that have happened too, Bill, I don't think there's any way we could, we could do anything differently. I mean, Hitachi acquiring Talos and the Alsala piece before you got, Alstom and Bombardier, GE, Wabtec, Favely. I mean, you have these mm-hmm. these companies that are acquiring companies um, outside of their original home turf. When you start to get that big, you, you can't do anything but cover the globe. So you have to work across time zones and, and continents, and you have to work across technology. So I think uh, I think the time is right for for us to start talking about a global rail industry for sure. So in terms of uh, passenger rail in North America, uh, do you have any uh, big predictions to make at, at this point? I think the next couple of years will be transformative for sure for the industry. Um, how, how transformative that it all depends on the money that goes to high-speed rail. I think you're going to see heavy investment in passenger, um, passengers in the passenger space in, in cities for sure. And I'm a, I think you'll see a tech, technology shift. Um, in Canada alone, I think there's maybe 11 or 12 different public-private partnership-style projects, uh, mega projects, you know, eight eight to $20 billion projects. And it's going to be a little bit overwhelming. But I see the United States also moving to that to that same model. I can see some uh, some cities wanting to go that route. And, um, and so I think, you know, uh, nobody's going to – there's not one winner through this all. I think it's the industry that wins. Um I mean, uh, Hitachi's just had a couple of great wins. Alstom has had a couple of great wins. The Tren, Tren Maya project for them in Mexico. Um, and of course, Siemens has just had uh, a stellar couple of years globally. We've had a great couple of years. And with that comes a lot of new people in the, the industry and a lot of people with different backgrounds and thoughts and technology backgrounds. And I think we're just going to continue to to get better. But how transformative we become all comes all comes down to what happens with high speed rail. Um, otherwise, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a little slower growth in terms of technology than what it could be. So, Mark, we, we've touched upon uh, the, the freight sector. Uh, uh, let, let's expand upon that a little bit. Uh, what do you see happening in the freight uh, freight industry this year besides a big merger? <laughs> yeah, as the city well, southern like and Canadian Pacific. I, yeah, that one's going to definitely change things quite a bit. And Keith, as you know, I've known him um, lightly for I don't know 2004, and it's been great to see him rise up through the railroads that he's done. And I think he's going to do a wonderful job for them. Um, we've got a couple of other leaders that are changing out and, and um, some that have just changed out with Katie Farmer coming in. I think I actually met her the first time in 2004 as well, but um, Lance Fritz was on CNBC this morning talking about their fifth year of margin improvement. And he was talking about the congestion at the ports and a lot of it being tied to containers going back to Asia empty 
and uh, to talking about a lack of drivers on the highways and talking about rising truck prices. And all of those things lead to a better justification for intermodal on the on the class one railroads. And so I think we're going to continue to to grow in that space. And it sounds as if um, their earnings will continue to grow, which means that their capital budgets will continue to grow, hopefully. And uh, so we should see some new, you know, some new growth on that side in terms of technology and, and, and people and all the things that we just talked about on the passenger side. What, what, uh, what's your perspective on the, on the freight industry? What do you see, Bill? Well, you know, I've been covering the, uh, uh, the, the merger uh, for, uh, for a while now, you know, actually since it was announced in March, uh, uh, it, uh, I think it's going to go through. Uh, it's, uh, I don't see, there's no reason from a regulatory standpoint, from a competition standpoint, you know, the things that, that the STB is concerned about, it's, it's not a heavy lift. Uh, it's end to end. The the STB uh, has been very proactive, especially the the chairman pushing uh, uh, for hearings on on uh, things like uh, reciprocal switching and service quality and so on and so forth. And uh, I I I think the uh, the freight industry is um, is well equipped uh, to to deal with with all of this. There's a, a question. Are our mergers uh, are mergers really good for the industry? Well, yes. Uh, for uh, and, and I'm not the only journalist to uh, to to uh, to say this, but you know when you talk about interline service, you know if uh, when you talk about a transcontinental, in the case of the CPKCS combination, a transnational system, right. you know the fewer handoffs you have to do, and if you have one consolidated a consolidated operation especially with with technology okay with all the technology that's available you know i i think it could only <clears throat> only ben- benefit the customers there's certainly enough enough opportunity for us to grow to grow market share that really hasn't happened uh, as much as it should in, in, the, in the freight rail industry uh mar- market share is a big thing uh but now is the time to uh, to grab the opportunities really and uh uh, and roll with them, okay? <laughs> roll with them on the steel rails. Uh, we have this tremendous infrastructure in this country. We have the best freight rail system in the world, bar none. Let's leverage it at, as much as we can with the help of our supply industry, Siemens and well, everybody we're there, else. We're there for sure to support. Yeah. And I can tell you, we're a customer of the Class 1 railroads as well. And uh, we shipped our first train, our Via Rail train, um, up to Canada, uh, I'm guessing two months back and, you know, they had given us a, a window. It would, we're going to pick it up this day and we're going to deliver it, you know, by this day. And, uh, I think they delivered it in maybe two days and they gave us a 10 day window. And so you're right when there's that connect, you know, lack of connections, um, and just a straight throughput, you really can do tremendous things for the industry. And so I, I, I don't disagree with the CPKCS comments. So Mark uh, Siemens has had a, uh, a presence in Sacramento for a long time. Uh, I, I visited that plant uh, many years ago. Um, it, it's changed a lot. I know it's a, it's a, a green facility with uh, using a lot of uh, solar power. Um, you've really ramped up production there. You're building everything from electric locomotives to uh, intercity passenger cars to uh, to light rail vehicles. And, uh, that's quite, uh, quite an operation there. If you want to 
to talk about that for a bit. Yeah, I mean, we're in eight locations around the United States, around 4,000 employees. Um, Sacramento is the big, the big one for sure, and it is an incredible um, it's an incredible facility, and the team out there just does great work. And you're right, it is probably the most unique rolling stock plant that I've seen in the globe on the globe. And I've been to, I mean, at least 50 of them. Um, but we we do everything. We do light rail vehicles, and we do electric locomotives, and diesel locomotives, and passenger trains. Um, and it's just a great facility, and we're we're hiring. So if anybody who's listening is <laughs> looking looking to move to Sacramento or looking to be a welder in Sacramento, we'd love to hire you with the orders that we have. Um, it's a great facility. It's a green facility, solar powered. Uh, we'd love to see you come out and try to compare to what you remember it at the last time that you came because it is huge. It is a great big train plant. And as you uh, you and I well know, you know, this is a great industry to work for. It's, it's exciting. Uh, uh, you know, it may be an old bricks and mortar industry that's been around since the uh, early part of the 19th century, but uh, it is it is state of the art. And, uh, you know, that message needs to get out there to uh, uh, young talent and bring them in. Yeah, I mean, our whole them. focus is digital is digitalization. And so for us, it's software engineers and it's it's not the old bricks and mortar piece that we that you and I start, you know, saw when we first came into the industry. And um, I mean, I worked in some of the toughest, you know, steel foundries that there were making uh, castings, uh, wheel castings and side frames and bolsters in my first job. And it's definitely not that today. It's all about digitalization and, you know, software engineering. So a, a, a massive change in the industry for sure. Well, Mark Buncher, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we uh, thank you. we certainly, uh, on behalf of Railway Age, Simmons Borman Publishing Corporation, our rail group, uh, we thank you uh, uh, for your sponsorship. Uh, you know, I've been been uh, working uh, with Siemens uh, now for almost thirty years, and uh, uh, it's it's always been a pleasure. So, you know, thanks, thank uh, you. thanks for joining us, and uh, well, you have a safe day and stay healthy. Thanks for having me, and uh, uh, make sure you take me up on the invite to see Sacramento. <laughs> I, I most certainly will. Mm-hmm.